0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to John, the 11th chapter, verses 32 through 44. Hear these words. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man Have kept this man from dying. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and there was a stone lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: We you bow your heads with me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Around three or so years ago, I led a grief class as part of our Wednesday night activities. Now, as I'm sure you would expect in a church of our size, a great many people who had experienced loss came to be part of the group right? No, not really. It was a small, intimate group. I wondered about that. I don't think the low numbers reflected a lack of confidence in its leaders. I have a degree in experience in counseling. I've experience as a hospital chaplain, plus I was in seminary at the time. And if that wasn't enough, my co-leader was Amy Leachman. I have to admit though the other activity choices might have had something to do with it. I think there was a disciple class going on at the time. Um, Rob here was leading a series on Andy Griffith. um, (laughs) Over those same weeks, that was pretty stiff competition. Um, And let's be honest, would you rather spend an evening immersed in the humor and good theology exemplified by Andy, Barney, and Opie, or would you prefer to dive into the unpredictable, churning whitewater that is your grief? I get it. Experiencing the feelings of grief is just hard, and it makes perfect sense. We'd rather not deal with that. It's as though we believe with enough exercise and anti-aging creams and medical intervention. We can keep death at bay almost forever. It's no coincidence that one of the classic stages of grief is denial. Perhaps as a person living in the US you've experienced this phenomenon after there's been a death. For a couple of weeks people really show up they bring food, they help with the kids, they come for the funeral. And then the phone calls and cards start to taper off, and the world keeps turning, and you, the mourner, are expected to just keep on going because the rest of the world is doing just that. In Jewish tradition, this isn't the case. In her book titled Mudhouse Sabbath, Lauren Winner explores the differences between the Jewish rituals of her childhood and the Christian culture. Winner, who not only converted to Christianity but is a priest now in the Episcopal Church, writes about the value of Jewish practices in daily living. She says, when it comes to mourning, these rituals provide a place of community for the person to grieve and for the community provides roles to support the people who are grieving. Perhaps you've heard the phrase sitting Shiva. It's when people come to the house and sit with the mourner. It starts right after the funeral and lasts for seven days. Winner says the mourner doesn't leave the house except for Sabbath, they don't even wear shoes. People bring food, and stay present with the person who is grieving or their family. This is the scene that Jesus enters when he comes to Bethany, the town where sisters Mary and Martha lived along with their brother Lazarus. It's been four days since Lazarus died and friends in the community have been sitting Shiva. The sisters are not, according to tradition, meant to be alone at this time. So when Mary goes out to meet Jesus, It's only natural that the other Jews came with her. Jesus would have expected this, not just because he's Jesus, but because it's the ritual and tradition in which he was raised. But when faced with Mary's sorrow and the tears of all her friends, John tells us that Jesus began to weep with them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And God in the flesh stands at Lazarus' tomb and weeps for his people. He weeps because we suffer pain and death in this broken world. He understands the pain and disconnection and separation caused by death. And then he proceeds to conquer it. Earlier in this chapter, John tells us that the friendship between Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is a close one. The sisters have written to Jesus days before, saying, he whom you love is ill. Please come. So Jesus shows up. And isn't that a basic step of showing compassion for someone who is healing, showing up? Sam Wells, past dean of Duke Divinity School, says the most important word in the Bible is with. Emmanuel, God with us. If we are called to model our lives on the life of Jesus, and we are, then we too are called to be with. We commune with each other at the table. We stand with each other in joy and sorrow. We show up with food, with a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on a prayer shawl. I had an opportunity over the last week to witness the choosing of a prayer shawl for someone who's gone through a rough patch. Now it is not enough that in every prayer shawl there is love and blessing in every stitch and loop. That prayer shawl was chosen with a discerning eye and with second and third opinions just for that person whom it was intended to comfort. The comfort that Jesus brings when he arrives outside the village is first and foremost his presence. My friend told me that when her mother died a few years ago, that it meant the world to her, the people that came to the funeral. She was overwhelmed that people that she hadn't seen in years would take the time to come. Mary's response when she hears that Jesus is near is to hurry to meet her teacher and friend, and it sounds like she might just be in that denial stage of grief when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like anyone, she is having a hard time adjusting to this new reality of her brother being gone, and it would be natural for her to be thinking of all the what-ifs and things that might have kept him alive and well. Lord, if you had been here, I think I might hear something else behind this, something beyond shock. Could Mary be annoyed with Jesus? Sure she can. You can experience more than one stage of grief at a time and Mary is probably in the anger stage too. Here Jesus is, a close friend, showing up after it's too late, After she'd written him almost a week ago, and he was only a couple of miles down the road. But also in her statement is her unshakable belief in who Jesus is. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus is there now. He is standing at the tomb where they have laid Lazarus. He could move right on to the business at hand and show the power of God over death. But instead, he weeps. This is not something to be glossed over. In other translations, verse 35 simply reads, Jesus wept, making it the shortest verse in the Bible, and yet all the more significant because of it. See, John the Gospel writer drives home the fact from the beginning, that in Jesus we know who God is. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and God is weeping over God's people. Some have said that Jesus is expressing his own sorrow at the loss of his friend, and there is some truth in that, but we're only scratching the surface. God is a God of relationship and connection. So, of course, it is painful for Jesus to feel the absence of his friend. But the emotion he is expressing goes deeper than that. These tears, this visible glimpse into the very soul of Jesus offers a a picture of God's compassion for the plight of humanity who exist in a reality that includes death and all the pain and separation that comes with it. MirianWebster.com lists the definition of compassion again. Compassion is sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Compassion is not just feeling the suffering of another. It involves the urge to do something to help. Jesus, faced with the grief of Mary, Martha, and the other mourners, feels keenly their pain and at the same time a fierce desire to ease the suffering for not only them, but for all people. Twice in the story, John tells us that Jesus is greatly disturbed. The original Greek here indicates that he was troubled even indignant at the circumstances of death. Some of his tears that fell were holy tears of anger. And Deep down, that's how we feel for our friends who experience grief. Indignant at how unfair and devastating death is. How often do we say how hard it must be they were so young, or how devastating it is for a parent to lose a child, or how senseless that one mistake cost a life, or how cruel cancer is. And these are motivating sympathetic statements. But without action, they are nothing but sympathetic thoughts that don't change a thing. If we are called to live like Jesus, and we are, we are called to compassion. Loving God means loving others, and that means showing up. Like Jesus, we feel the pain of another's grief, and like Jesus, we too put ourselves in that vulnerable place where we can say, I don't know what to say, except I'm sorry for your pain, and I love you. Frederick Buechner was living in Vermont, and he was going through a tough time. His daughter had been very ill, and his anxiety and worry over her had really put him in a dark place, almost like a dark tomb. He got a phone call from his friend in Charlotte, except that friend wasn't in Charlotte. He'd driven the 800 miles up to Vermont because, as he said to Beekner, maybe it would be handy to have an extra friend around for a day or two. Beekner said... They just took a couple of walks, ate together, drove around the countryside. But he believed in that time that they both touched the hem of Christ's garment and both were healed. That friend took his compassion, made himself vulnerable by taking a risk, and he showed up. When you hear the story of the miracle, It's hard not to compare the raising of Lazarus to the resurrection of Jesus himself. And you're not wrong. John's telling is like a road sign that points to Calvary and the empty tomb. It's almost a preview, but it's the kind of preview that's so engaging, you almost forget the movie that you came to see in the first place. Your heart leaps forward to Easter morning when you see the stone roll away, but it's not Easter yet. Before Jesus calls Lazarus out from the tomb, you watch him, pray aloud, thanking the Father for hearing him so that there is no mistaking this is God's son in action and that what is about to happen is an act of God. Then Lazarus, still shrouded and constrained by the wrappings of death, hobbles out and then you see a close-up of Jesus' face as he says, Unbind him and let him go. And then the scene concludes, and the next thing you see on the screen is Easter in a theater near you, spring 33 AD. Nadia Boltz Weber sums it up like this. It was as though before Jesus was to defeat death for good, he had to give it a really good slap in the face first. The miracle at the tomb of Lazarus establishes with no uncertainty that Jesus has dominion over death and is the giver of life. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things came into being through him and without him not one thing came into being. The act also happens to be the last straw on the Pharisees' back resulting in Jesus being too much of a threat to their own power, which ultimately leads to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. This glimpse into God's compassion for God's people draws us in and begins to open our hearts to the depth of God's love for us. God's compassion is for all humanity, and Jesus' ultimate action is to defeat death at the cross. The reality of life and a broken creation is that we must continue to face death and what it leaves behind. But if we are called to live like Jesus, and we are, then we are called to compassion in its wake, to be present with each other, to bring life-giving comfort, to recognize the loss. If we are the mourner, we must follow the example of Jesus and be vulnerable in our grief. To love our neighbor well, we must first love and care for ourselves. It's important to find safe places to find support and comfort, whether it's with friends, family, Stephen ministry, counseling, or all of the above. It is important to weep. Like Lazarus in the tomb, humanity is bound in this earthly life by the wrappings of death, consigned to feel the pain of grief. The hope of our Christian faith is that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we and all the saints who have gone before us have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Death won't need a listing in the dictionary because it will no longer exist. Hear the promise in Revelation. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Will you join with us in the litany of thanksgiving for all the saints. Eternal God, help us this day to remember the unseen cloud of witnesses who compass us about.
1: Those who in every age and generation witness to their faith in life and in death. Those who by their courage and sacrifice won for us the freedom and liberty we enjoy who have served at the cost of pain persecution and of death
0: those whom we love and who have gone to be with you and whose lives live on in us
1: help us to walk so that our lives are lived worthily in the unseen presence of those saints who have gone before us help us to commit our lives to christ in such a way that we may know their courage in danger, their steadfastness in trial, their perseverance in difficulty, their loyalty when loyalty is costly, their love which nothing can change, their joy which nothing can take away. So grant to us us in this this life never never to forget forget those who have gone before so that that in the life life to come we may share with them in their joy and blessedness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.